0: Welcome to the People of Packaging Podcast, brought to you by Specright. Specright wants you to envision a world without waste. Join the movement at specright.com backslash PKG. Yo, what's good, packaging nerds? nerdettes. <laughs> I've got a fun and super great episode today with Joss Harrison from Wreck-It. If you don't know me, I'm the host of the People of Packaging Podcast, Adam Peak. I go by the packaging pastor you can find me on TikTok at packaging pastor also on linkedin and let me tell you what joss brings just an incredible amount of knowledge and excitement and passion to the industry and he's coming at it from a perspective of a large global cpg you don't want to miss this interview with joss harrison so without further ado let's get right to it hey everybody i am here with my new friend, fellow sneakerhead, and a uh, lover of uh, basketball, I think, right? Do, do you enjoy on, basketball? Yes. Okay. Very much so. Yeah. Okay. I realized we were talking about basketball shoes and you said you played in them, but I never confirmed that you were, in fact, a fellow lover of the greatest game on earth.
1: Exactly. Uh, yes. But I'm joined Which is here. unusual by... for a Brit, but.
0: It, well, is it getting. I mean, it feels like the game has expanded quite a bit.
1: Yes, you, you, find, you probably Just, find more Brits interested in football, or at least what you would call football, than basketball. Oh, like... There's a, there's a big following for football in the, in the UK these days, yeah.
0: Right. We've been playing more, more games over there. It seems like London right. has a game yeah. every year or something like that.
1: It does, yeah.
0: Okay. I'm actually not, I don't really follow American football all that, <laughs> that closely anymore, uh, which is, I just, I just watch, I watch and I play a lot of basketball. So that's my gotcha. that's my favorite cool. part. Um, anyway, we've got that out of the way. Your name is also important. This is Joss Harrison. Um, and Joss is currently, let me get the, your title right, Global Head of Brand Experience and Design at Wreck-It. That's right. Yes. All right. Very good. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on, and welcome to uh, your first packaging podcast. Thanks, Adam. Gary, it's hey? a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, have, you a podca- have you done a podcast? Have you done podcasts before?
1: Uh, I've done a few. Yes, uh, varying subject areas. So some of them are kind of branding-led. Some of them are probably kind of straight marketing and, and kind of business stuff. Um, a few design-related. Uh, my background is is industrial design or product design. So kind of there's a a more detailed level perhaps that i can go to there yeah um, well, so variety yeah
0: well let's talk a little bit about your background i was elated to finally have somebody from king edward the 4th ashton school on my podcast just so i could say the name of the school
1: <laughs> it's the, it's close king edward VI. the 6th
0: the 6th yeah oh it's the 6th i wrote it down wrong sorry king edward <laughs> the 5th and 4th i have <laughs> you didn't did you have did they have schools uh, all the King there, is,
1: there is another King Edward school, but it's just King Edward school.
0: Um, oh, they so they just the, the right over the foundation. Two, three, four. I think five. they must have
1: skipped a few generations, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a few dynasties.
0: King Edward VI, yeah. I blew it, uh, Ashton School. And Where is that located?
1: Uh, it's in the center of the UK, or what we call the center of the UK, the Midlands, um, in a, place, a city called Birmingham, which is where I'm actually from originally. It's where I was born. Um, and it's a, a very, very old school that's uh, had a, a residential area kind of built up around it over, I think, about 300 years. Um, so it was a, a fun place to go, uh, but it was a, a good distance from where I used to live. So uh, it would take me an hour and a half to get to school every morning.
0: Wow. That's that's fast. And but is that where you kind of started to get into design or how did you get into industrial and graphic design and marketing is was that something you always kind of had a natural it, bent it was
1: yeah although i i probably at the time didn't realize that's what it was uh, and interestingly that school was the first place i experienced it as a i suppose a functional start to a profession um the school itself is, is very traditional school or certainly was then we're talking about a good few decades ago um and uh, I, I one of the subjects I, I chose was art, um, but it was again very classical art. Uh, but in the the latter years, so uh, I guess I would have been seventeen. Um, we uh, the, the school introduced a, a new tutor to the the art and technology department, uh, and this guy was a, an industrial designer product designer.. Um, and myself and, and some of the other the people on the, the course had never heard of product design before. Of course, it's self-descriptive, so you kind of get a sense of what it must mean when someone introduces themselves, but uh, this guy was a revelation. Interestingly, I was, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine earlier today whose podcast I also did an interview for and mentioned this, this sort of uh, circumstance where you know we had a, a lecturer join the school for the first time and, and talk about product design and... That it was possible to kind of effectively create the world around you um and of course i was hooked who doesn't want to create the world around them you know to, right. to be able to to change things for the better um and to know that you can you can make physical things you know that it, it doesn't happen in some mystical black box somewhere um that, that actually everyday people are involved in sort of inventing in, in perfecting in physically building all of the the environment that we have around us. And I think that that was probably the the single biggest thing that he he could have sold to me and a couple of other schoolmates at the time uh, that that really just drew us into this uh, the the world of design really, um, which for me has always been first and foremost physical. You know, we are physical beings. Uh, and as much as we we interact with the the digital channels around us these days we are still intrinsically need to touch and feel things and uh, be able to perceive things in three-dimensional space. Uh, this kind of thing, you know, we're, we have eyes in the front of our head rather than the sides. So we're, we're set up by nature to judge distance and 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 kind of measure things and, and get a sense of space around us. So it's, it's probably the most fun anyone can have as a, as a profession, frankly.
0: I love it. Um And I love this idea that like I think I wrote down here that, um, you know, that that design is a way to create, what did you say, uh, create the world around you. So to yeah. to make actual physical things. And, and, you know, so often, especially it seems like, and I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sort of the convergence between the physical and the, um, call it like the metaphysical or like the metaverse <laughs> or web three and things like that, which which is an important thing to, pay, to, to be looking at and paying attention to. But there is just something about human connection in a space in the same space physically being there and then physically interacting with a product um, you know there's a reason why i've said this before in the podcast but you know amazon didn't accidentally purchase whole foods here <laughs> yes. you know they understand that even though they are the this 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 large digital data platform they understand the importance of being able to go to a place and interact with things and, and be part of an experience that you remember. Um, You know, I even commented to my wife the other day, we walked into a Target and I said, did you notice that Target always kind of smells the same? And we're like, we've never noticed that. But there's something there's, there's like something aromatic, even about about walking into a physical space. And somebody created that, right? Somebody created the The atmosphere. Somebody created the store signage, and you know, people are creating the packaging and designing the products. And I think it's 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 wonderful. Um, and that's kind of, and that's where is that sort of how you, you know, kind of it's a weird expression. Cut your teeth. I was like, is that how you cut your teeth in (laughs) in this? But that's kind of an odd one, isn't it? I've never thought about that till this very moment. I I
1: almost dread to think where it originally comes from. I'm not sure I want to know the detail of that, the provenance of it.
0: It's like, it's like oh, that. And then we can kill two birds with one stone. And I'm like, who's killing birds, first of all, with rocks? Like, why is yeah. that a thing?
1: We need to stop these people.
0: More than one way to skin a cat. I think yeah. there's zero. I'm not an inch. I
1: feel like that might be the same person as well. It's a... <laughs> the same person that's stoning the birds, you know? It's just a um...
0: bird stoning. He's <laughs> sharpening his teeth and then skinning cats. And he's just like, I'm going to make up business expressions that make no sense and put them out in the world. <laughs> But yeah, I wrote think, the yeah, Hot Pockets jingle, by the way.
1: Hot Pockets jingle. I'm not familiar with that one.
0: Oh, yeah, that's just probably a U.S. thing. Sorry, but uh-huh. we've got this nasty. It, it, well, it's an interesting food called Hot Pockets, and mm. it was made famous by a American comedian named Jim Gaffigan. Okay. Anyway, uh, Carrie, I know wait, what, wait, I know wait. what I'm
1: doing after the interview. Then I'm on YouTube <laughs> looking for this.
0: You don't you don't waste your time. Uh, so anyway, you you got you came up through the the industry at various companies, right? Um, before you before you landed at Wreckit, and that was kind of your background was in product yeah, so design,
1: predominantly uh, physical things. Let's say so um, from individual sort of uh, products that you you could pick up and hold uh, through to bits of componentry for larger. Um, kind of operating systems physical operating systems so some work for companies that make kind of shower doors and so bits of kind of design engineering Um, but then uh spent quite a bit of time designing spaces Uh, so as you you mentioned earlier kind of places that people come together to to interact um commercial interior design effectively so things like bars and nightclubs and restaurants and and large public spaces that are um, I don't know if you have the paradigm in the U.S. actually, but we, here, I say here in the U.K., I'm actually in Amsterdam at the moment, but uh, in the U.K. we have large holiday parks that are uh, a kind of getaway, but all on one site, like a campus, I guess. Okay. And you have a, a central space that's a, an internal space that maybe contains restaurants and bars and, and, and stuff like this, a little bit like a mall, I guess. Usually there's an entertainment venue there, a bit like you would have a cinema in a mall. Um, and the the res the residential the accommodation is all on that site as well. Okay. Uh, and I I, I had spent a few years actually working for a company that designs these entire uh, park experiences with kind of wayfinding signage, the interiors of the accommodation, the interiors of the public spaces, the operating principles of the catering outlets, and a whole bunch of stuff. So really interesting, kind of figuring out how people in large groups probably interact with spaces and how to create holistic experiences which I kind of then took with me into the the company that I worked for after that which was confectionery a company called Cadbury Schweppes Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, sort of went from the largest spaces you can imagine down to individual chocolate bars and you know this kind of thing so interesting to figure out then how do you expand the experience of that that brand particularly when the brand is product centric beyond just the moment at which you maybe buy it and eat it you know uh, and so we at the time we called it presence marketing so mm. kind of you know how does the brand come to life when the product isn't present essentially interesting um, and which was a lot of fun especially that you can imagine at a confectionery company you know everyone's super engaged with confectionery right. um, everyone loves a a sweet or a chocolate or a biscuit or a um cakes and this kind of thing so you can always guarantee that you, you've got quite high engagement with uh, with non-product touch points as, as well you know um and then from there ended up where i am now at, at Reckitt uh kind of bringing all of that stuff together really so Reckitt is a predominantly consumables business um although we're, we're kind of gradually migrating into a perhaps a bit more service-centric space Uh, For lots of reasons. I Mm -hmm. think the world is evolving generally from a sustainability point of view. It's the direction the industry needs to take, you know, FMCG or CPG. Um, Despite its kind of uh, its naming convention has to move away from being consumer consumable centric um, and ensure that it can provide its solutions in in other more sustainable ways. Uh, So now what I do at Racket is effectively look after the the tools and, and working practices that we we use to manage the equity of our brands. Uh, and my team effectively build all of the, the core assets that, that our brands use to build that equity. Some of them are physical, some of them are kind of product related, packaging, point of sale in store. Um, some of them are non-product related, but still physical. So a little bit like the kind of pop-ups and stuff that I alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, vast vast array of digital touch points, um, whether those are things that we use to kind of engage with people on, on social media, um, or whether they are stuff that's actively involved in, I guess, selling things, you know, helping people to understand what the proposition is and whether it's the one for them and e-commerce assets and that kind of thing.
0: And do you still call it, would you still kind of refer to that as pres, I like that. I like that phrase presence marketing. Is that what you said? Um, and I even asking these, that question, right? How does you said How does a brand come to life when the product isn't present? I was like, that's that's brilliant. I love it.
1: Well, it's something that we've we've thought about for a long time. Um, as I said, we're we're very much a consumables business. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we make millions, if not billions, of individual things that each person uses. You know, um, and while these are the, the brands that we that we have, Lysol and Detol in in Rest of the world and Durex, and
0: Airborne,
1: and Airborne, exactly, yeah, yeah, um, mucinex You know, these are all well-loved brands. They're still a single moment in time. You know, they're a, a thing that you use to do a particular task. When the brand actually can have a a greater role in the world, um which is why we each brand has a purpose, um uh, and and the way that we we structure all of our activity on the brands, the the things we make the the um the way we formulate our, our products the way we talk to people you know whether it's other businesses or the individual uh, is all structured around the purpose the the positive effect the brand is is trying to have in the world um so for lysol it might be to to break the chain of infection that you know communicable diseases reduce people's ability to complete education or to to go to work uh and so breaking that that infection Uh, chain is is super important and has a positive effect on society so each each brand has a purpose where it's trying to have a a a significant and and tangible meaningful perhaps positive effect and so this is why that notion of what's the brand doing beyond just the thing it sells that notion becomes super important because you can sell things all day long and probably provide a service that way a Mm -hmm. meaningful useful service in let's call it sanitizing your home or getting rid of gastrointestinal infection or whatever it might be but realistically no one thinks about brands in a in such a kind of linear narrow sense anymore even if they ever did you know the the brand that you perceive is the sum total of all the experiences you have when when Mm -hmm. interacting with it so you know we were talking about sneakers earlier the uh, the definition of your understanding of of Nike as a brand is absolutely not limited to when you pick up the shoe. Right. Um you know there's so many other touch points that allow the brand to create its what we call its brand world. Um and so consciously thinking about all of those other experiences becomes super important especially when you've got a blend between physical and digital touch points.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let let's hang out there for a second because I think this is this has been a, uh, and I'm sure even for uh, for a, a company like it with so many different, uh, you know, different brands uh, across uh, across a, a fairly wide spectrum. It's not the entire spectrum, right? But you know, we mentioned you mentioned Lysol and in um, Airborne, for example, right? Like one you eat and one please don't ever eat Lysol. right? Like Absolutely, it, do not uh, do not yeah, eat do Lysol. Not, do not consume them. <laughs> um, Uh, but, you know, but they're both like health related, right? Like health and hygiene and things like that. Um, But it seems as though the last, really the last call it two years, there's been an acceleration in change on how consumers experience a brand because the world changed. I mean, everything shifted in in various directions and it's still shifting to be totally candid. I think it's we're not we're not fully realizing all that's gonna come from from the COVID pandemic for sure. How how has that been? I'm guessing it's been quite a quite a roller coaster at a place like Wreck It, but where do you find yourself maybe finding some good ground to land on when it comes to the convergence of the brand from not only availability, right? I mean, people especially at the beginning of the pandemic we're were probably like as much Lysol as we can buy, we will take, right? Um, As much as you can make, we're going to buy it. So you had availability and presence, actual physical presence to be produced. And then you have sustainability, which has to be together with that. And then you had this whole other push happening with, like we kind of talked about at the beginning with kind of digital life. So you had people you had brands like shotgunning NFTs out there to just be like, I don't really know what we're doing, but we got to be on the blockchain, right? As you had all this stuff happening at one point in time, where have you found some places where those converge and maybe where you found some some good places where you're like, we feel like we've got a pretty solid foundation here?
1: Well, I think, as you said, the the landscape's still kind of shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to think that maybe it's going to settle in the next sort of year or so. But actually... In reality, I think we're, we're just entering a period of, of completely unsettled Mm -hmm. interactions with brands and between brands and people that I think is going to just fluctuate continuously. Um, and when we look at the experience we've had as an organization and, and our brand categories, let's say have had, uh, through the last couple of years, some of those factors you mentioned have been massive drivers for change in our organization. So we, internally in the way we operate, uh, the, the notion of virtuality. Let's say, you know, as you said, so many people working from home, or so many people isolated in home, especially during the early part of the pandemic. Mm. You know, even if they couldn't work, they couldn't go out um, right across the world, and the behaviours of internet use. I, it feels odd these days using the word internet. I feel old. I'm not sure anybody refers to it as the internet anymore.
0: I like to call it the worldwide so, web or the interwebs.
1: <laughs> the interweb, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I, I feel like the, the way people um, re- interact with the, the outer world, what they perceive to be the rest of the world, has shifted monumentally uh, in, this t- in that time. Uh, and I think for, for companies like ours in, in CPG, the implications are enormous. Uh, and I think that's accelerated our shift to to consider what does solving people's problems look like if we are perhaps not necessarily selling billions of things that contain liquids, perhaps, you know, uh, billions of pieces of plastic or billions of pieces of structural carton board. Um, You know, what what does solving problems look like in a world where people perhaps are going to um, a physical retail opportunity 40, 50% less than they used to? you know they're they're literally sitting at home or sitting somewhere that isn't even their home that they now are able to work from um that they they want stuff delivered to you know how do we um build different relationships with the the brand partners or the companies who are now serving those people and solving problems so the the increase in um what would you call it, kind of remote delivery food services like Uber and, and Deliveroo and, and goodness knows how many of those type of companies that are now thriving. The That vast increase means that people are um, either cooking at home less, therefore maybe they're using less dishwasher time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're it's replacing eating out. So our business-to-business services that we would normally operate, maybe they have to shift to... Helping to serve these um, what are effectively blank catering kitchens that that kind of cook a lot of this stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if you you know how Uber Eats works, but you know a lot of their restaurants are in effectively communal kitchens um, that the, the the restaurant franchise hires space in. Uh, and so, how do we help those people um, maintain a, a hygienic business, uh, an efficient business? So, I think uh, the the business models of big CPG players like ourselves and PG and Unilever um, have to shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we see this already, you know, there's there's a lot of um what we would call service offerings popping up around the world from our our company and 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 our direct competitors to kind of feel out what does solving problems look like in a more service centric um kind of interaction with the end user. And and maybe the end user, it doesn't, isn't our client entirely, you know, up to date, that's always been the case. You know, it's a, I don't like the word consumer, but you know, they these are consumer facing brands. Sure. But I think the credibility of the brand, the heritage of the brand, the the rigorous attention to detail in validating all of its um it's solutions that it provides the safety that is inherent in all the products that we make because of the governance of you know the large bodies like the epa and, and this kind of thing um all of that could be translated into service-centric businesses that are providing literally providing the service to uh small medium enterprises for instance who might then be serving the the end customer so it's, it's a super interesting time as a I suppose a quasi marketer these days. I'm, I'm sort of some part one foot in design and one foot in marketing, um, because I think the opportunity to to solve people's problems is is just growing all the time. You know, right. sadly, we have plenty of problems to solve, and, True. Um, and I think the opportunity there is is just enormous. Uh, particularly if we are able to diversify our thinking beyond, you know, an individual product that you use up, throw away, buy another one.
0: I thought it was, you did one, um, it was early on when kind of travel, I remember being kind of lonely in hotels for a while because I, mm. I, was, I was probably a, an early adapter to getting back out and traveling. And I wanna say it was, uh, I apologize if I missed this, but I think you had a, a Lysol and was it Hilton hotels? That's right, I wanna yeah, say. I a partnership
1: with Hilton, yeah.
0: And I checked into a hotel And I thought this was genius. It was so it was so simple because you you already know this is already happening. But I go to my door and there's just a a pressure sensitive label that's just over the door. And you think about it when you talk about communicating to a consumer who may not be your consumer, but how do you communicate value that their problem is solved? You realize like, well, somebody had to have cleaned this room I mean unless they just slapped a label on the outside of it that would be pretty disingenuous (laughs) but when you walk in you can feel it you can smell it you know there's a there's a there's a an aroma it smelled clean you know you could tell it was locked down because it had like a security seal on the door which I had never seen before um and I remembered it was Lysol right so I when we when you talk about the um what was the thing you said how does the brand come to life when the product isn't present? It wasn't like I could just buy Lysol at the at the at the Hilton, right? I mean, I was there to be in a room, but it communicated you can trust this room, it has been thoroughly cleaned, uh it has been Absolutely. disinfected. There was there was a there was a brand presence without the product being there. And I thought that was I thought that was great. Well, I don't even think we talked about that when we talked about our pre-call, but I still remember that from like Fall of 2020, when I had to go out to an event and I checked in, I was like, whoa, that was
1: it's it's, it's very cool. Yeah. The the partnership that we have with Hilton and, and lots of other um, similar kind of service centric businesses has, has been really productive for us. I think partly, as you said, there's a there's an opportunity to for the brand to be present, doing a meaningful job, um, which, of course, is great for, for brand equity. But also, it's a type of business, a type of operation that, as an, as an organization, all FMCG businesses have no clue how these businesses operate. And having to dig into that to better serve these partner businesses like Hilton has been a, a, a great educational um, exercise for our business. You know, we've learned a lot about, about the operation of service centric businesses. Um, and so we are now better able to serve those businesses as well. So we have innovation pipelines. Uh, that are now uh, sort of leaning in that direction and, and specifically looking at how do we innovate to serve some of these partner businesses directly. Um, so it, it's been a, a very productive relationship build. And I think historically businesses like ours, the sort of B2B part of the business was really a kind of volume thing. Um, and I don't think it got as much attention perhaps as it as it should. Right. And the, the the extra credibility of these sort of consumer-facing brands uh, as as a benefit to to companies like Hilton, um, kind of change the nature of the relationship that that we have with those partner businesses and and genuinely turn them into partnerships. So it's been has been a fantastic, uh, in an odd kind of way, a fantastic opportunity come out of what's actually a colossal disruption to the the world's population and and everything else. You know.
0: Sure. Yeah. No doubt. Well, Joss, we are uh, coming up here on the end of our interview, which it, it, I think I say this on every interview. So if, if you make it to the end of these interviews and you hear me saying the same thing all the time, I'm sorry, but I'm also not sorry because it, it literally I just get so engrossed in the conversation. I look at the clock. I'm like, oh, wow, we've been talking for 29 minutes and it's been, <laughs> it's been great. Um, but let's kind of tie this up here um, with this question. So we've talked a lot about obviously your history and then also what you're doing at Rekit. As you look into a unsettled, maybe a little bit more clear, but still a kind of a murky future um, for for a lot of your brands, uh, you had mentioned something to me before the call. Uh, You said uh, how, uh, let's see, I think you said um, how you can converge sustainability issues by augmenting, uh, by augmenting your packaging with digital interactions to extend the brand beyond kind of that physical world. I don't know if I have that quite accurate, but I'm curious how all those uh, that this could, you're like, we need another 30 minutes, dude. Like I can't, I can't just knock <laughs> that out. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I'm, you know, maybe kind of distill that down into a few key points on, on what what is what are you looking to do to make those are three big topics right sustainability augmenting beyond it and then just actual packaging how do we get something from point a to point b with supply chain issues has been a big problem for a lot of small and large brands
1: yeah absolutely so in a nutshell the The interface that we have, the interactions we have with these type of brands, FMCG or CPG brands, you know, a thing that we buy in a supermarket, um, historically has always been uh, limited interaction. So it's it's at the task moment because they're they're always performing a task. They solve a problem. That's that's the good thing about these brands. They they've evolved because they solve a problem. Um, But the time that we think about that task. Is limited, and of course, as a brand, we would like to to be present in more moments, perhaps appropriate moments, um, and actually better able to serve. So the service may come through other ways than simply fulfilling that task. Maybe it's sanitizing a surface. So we we looked years ago now, five or six years ago, we started looking at how can we extend that that usage um, beyond just spraying onto a surface or opening the pack of a of airborne and and taking the the tablet um and the there's so much digital possibility of course you know we hear this all the time there's it's almost infinite you know you can extend experiences anywhere anyhow but how to make it meaningful and what we've realized is that sustainability for us is such a massive task that the the industry needs to undertake um how can we improve the sustainability profile of our brands our products how can we help people individuals to behave more sustainably through the use of these products and so we we, we set up a connected packaging program um a relatively straightforward principle using qr codes to to connect because of course it coincided with the uh, the implementation of a native qr reader in uh, the ios and mm-hmm. the google operating system and so on um that could then serve you with content that is relevant. And how do we make it relevant? Well, we make sure that it's contextually redirected. So depending on the context of your scan, we can serve content that is relevant to that context. So maybe you're in the store, it would help you to understand the product itself and maybe the product's usage, if you're unfamiliar with it. Um, it would perhaps tell you about the ingredients because for a lot of people these days, ingredients are super important, You know, and in a way that is, understandable to someone. I'm not talking about the, the EPA's regulatory kind of standard list of chemicals. This is, you know, what's in this thing? Why should I care? What does it do? Really in, in layman's terms. And so bringing to life some of these really important uh, kind of information serving moments through a, a simple digital interface, we found to be a, a really compelling uh, use case. Further, if you think about through the, the usage of the product, you get towards the end of life, um, and you want to make sure that you're responsibly disposing of this whatever's left, you know, the container. Uh, sometimes that requires you to separate components, you know, uh, and this is something that we all know as, as as packaging and product designers, very few people are engaged enough to to do this right. properly. Uh, is one of the biggest sort of uh, problems with, with plastics, you know, plastics are the poster child at the moment of, of sustainability. Recycling levels globally, I think, are about nine percent or something um, yeah. largely because we don't make it easy for people to recycle stuff and part of that is governmental part of it is sort of regional um, and
0: and financial right councils, but- sometimes there's not a, there hasn't been until recently financial incentives at least here in the states uh to it's true to actually it's true. go through the process of recycling something back into the same material because there's no market there's no in market to resell it so
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that, some of that's getting involved
0: with PCR and things like that, but.
1: Precisely. Yeah. So a big chunk of the responsibility really sits with the producers. uh, And I think we, we have our greatest effect through our end users. So how do we kind of bridge that gap? And when we Mm -hmm. said digitally, you know, it's, it's the best way to present information because you can make it far more engaging than the real estate that you have on a, on a piece of packaging in a store. Um, and so we can actually coach people through the, the recycling process or the responsible disposal or reuse. You know, how can we help people to give some of these these sort of empty packages, for instance, a second life? We know that uh, people uh, use one as a, a brand that we don't sell in the U.S. at this point, um, but a, van- a brand called Vanish. It's sold in a simple cylindrical tub um, that is as, over years has been very well engineered cost optimized, so it uses only just the, the amount of plastic that it needs to. but people reuse it constantly in their garages, you know containing stuff, they use it under their sink for other other purposes. So how can we kind of help people to to sort of reuse some of these these packages as well so that they're not you know necessarily going into PCR streams immediately. they're actually really getting a lot more use out of. So that that's the, the principle in a, in a nutshell, you know, using a, a digital medium, to have a greater positive effect um, through largely helping people to either get better use out of the products to better understand the products and, and make informed choices um, or to, and or to uh, ensure that they're able to, to dispose of the products as responsibly as, as their local um, system allows.
0: I love it. Uh, well, Joss, I, I really appreciate you coming on uh, here on my podcast. How would... Would be the best way for people to learn more, either about Rekitt or to connect up with you, um, is typically LinkedIn is a, is kind of a great way to.
1: LinkedIn is the staple. Yes, What's yeah. That? So um, LinkedIn is the, is the staple, I think, for for business. So myself and all of my team are, are on on LinkedIn um, and and pretty active. So we're we're always um, putting forward a point of view. I think on on lots of issues. Probably some that we we shouldn't, but um <laughs> it's difficult not to. Um and uh Racket has a, a very responsive um communications team. Uh so if you check out the website, um there's actually the, the website itself talks quite a bit about our sustainability uh commitments and, and how we're working against those and a lot of the the work that we do in uh, making our, our products and, and services more accessible as well so it's through sort of diversity and, and inclusion so there's a lot of really useful information on there um but also there are people uh people available uh oh, to, cool. to actually talk about stuff in detail if if you'd like to
0: and there may or may not be a sustainability podcast on the works uh with some folks at Reckitt also so stay tuned' cool. to the people That's good to hear podcast for that uh, and you know it sounds like uh potentially I'll have to Grab some hot pockets and head to a hospitality park in uh, in the UK. And you can I can show you what a hot pocket is, and you can show me what a hospitality park is.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a plan.
0: You're I'm gonna I'm gonna win that interaction though. You're gonna be like, oh, interesting. Okay, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna meet, meet these hot
1: <laughs> we'll 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 make sure we find some common ground. We'll, we'll pick one that has an an outdoor basketball court and we'll, we'll play a few games.
0: Okay, that'll be that'll be fun. Um, I'm 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 uh, I'm all of Forty, almost forty-two years old. So, <laughs> don't, don't expect too much. My best days That's are a okay. behind me. Uh, well, I'm,
1: I'm five years older, so you you still have an advantage.
0: Oh, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But, Just thanks again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh hopefully we can do again soon. Thanks. Hey, congrats! You made it to the end of the podcast. If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.